0: Well, good evening everybody. How are you today or tonight? I should say Yeah, it is cold I know I Didn't turn the heaters on early enough. I do apologize for those of you in the room. All right, we'll fix it next week I promise <laughs> Um, For those of you that may have been asking, I had at least one or two questions that we will be having our midweek services the next two weeks. So we will be meeting on Wednesdays, as well as for Fridays for Christmas Eve service, and then the following Friday on New Year's Eve. So I look forward to seeing you guys here for that as we just continue uh, studying through the Word. So tonight we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, looking at verses 22 through 25, and what we're going to be talking about is is, um, well, just kind of an important thing. We're, we're moving into the practical how to live as exiles in this world um, in light of our present and future salvation. That's where Peter has been making the shift here in his letter as we've been moving towards that. And what he's going to be touching on tonight is how we are to interact, how we are to engage with one another as a community, as the family of God's children. And really, one of the words he's going to use is that we're to interact, we're to love one another as siblings, as brothers and sisters, as family, related to one another by the blood of Christ. And so, the primary admonishment in the couple verses we're looking at tonight is love, to love one another. Now, he doesn't just tell us how to do it, he's going to tell us why, and he's also going to tell, well, he doesn't just tell us to do it, he's going to tell us why and how. And so... Um, That's what we'll be getting into these few verses tonight. But if you look around society today, or at least when I look around society today, um, many might say that as a culture, especially in Western culture, but I think it's a, a worldwide issue, we're becoming less and less connected as people. We're becoming less and less connected relationally, despite the rise of social media and having devices at our fingertips 24 hours a day where we can see each other and talk to one another. But um, you know, as, as the last decade has really come along, and it started about 20 years ago, you know, we've become more and more adept at communicating through technology, right? And technology has been a blessing in so many ways, especially when COVID hit and lockdowns hit and everybody suddenly had to start doing school and meetings and everything via Zoom and, and other things like that, but, but really the face-to-face communication, the eye-to-eye communication, the skills of interpersonal communication, reading body language, and all those types of things, even with things such as Zoom and whatever, I think are fading. Um, I think are fading. You know, to be a friend today doesn't mean what it used to mean. You know, we could be someone's friend on Facebook, but that doesn't mean what being a friend used to mean. You can like someone today, like what they do, like where they go eat, but it doesn't mean the same thing that it used to mean. Today, you can like someone's posts, you can like their page, you can follow someone, but following someone today doesn't mean what following somebody used to mean. Truth is, today, you can have hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands of friends and followers and people who like you but have absolutely no real connection with them at all. No real relationship with them at all. No real communication with them at all. And, you know, tech is great. I'm a tech guy. Right? I dropped out of college five times to start tech companies in my early 20s. And I love technology. I love computers, right? My dad was a, was a mechanic and he used to always want his, his eldest son to get into cars like he was and, you know, fix cars and make them go faster. And I never got into that. But when I discovered computers, oh, let's make that go faster. Let's make that more powerful, right? And so I love technology. But there was a study in Forbes a while back, and it found that in their study, despite being more connected in our culture than ever before, more people feel more alone than they ever have in history. And it was interesting in the study, they found that the demographic that felt most alone in today's culture, happen to be the demographic that is the most active on social media. The Twitter generation, the Instagram generation, the Facebook generation, the TikTok generation. In their study, they found them to be the generation that feels the most alone out of all the people they surveyed. I think it's because people aren't really communicating, aren't really uh, creating genuine relationships. I think those activities are happening less and less as our culture moves forward. Now, if you're uh, uh, connected to tech and interested in tech, you know, there's this new thing coming about called the metaverse. And people are thinking that the metaverse is gonna address some of these problems. But if you're familiar with any of that, I think the metaverse is just gonna create another way to hide ourselves behind another virtual avatar and to not be real and to not have real connection. There's a lot to be said for the use of tech and a lot of benefit and blessing, but there is something different from seeing someone virtually and engaging with them virtually and being able to interact with people in, 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 in presence, in, in physical activity, in, in, in physical back and forth. And so, one of the things that I think the church should be known for, the body of Christ, should be active in, should be great at, is community. That's what the church should be really, really excelling at. Genuine, active relationship, genuine, engaged care and concern for one another. And that type of community development, that type of interactivity is seen through sincere and fervent love. And that's what the Bible talks about. Not a virtual love, not an anonymous love, not a surface level love, but real, personal, interpersonal love and connection. And the body of Christ really should be the place where this type of love flourishes. It should flourish and grow here. And, and, you know, I think in many ways um, we, lived in a, we live today in a love-starved world, you know. Despite the overwhelming growth of connectivity, people are really starved for connection. They're really starved for real relationship. They're starved for that, that real genuine love that, that happens between people when they genuinely know about each other's lives and know what they're going through and are connected on a personal level. And I believe that has resulted in the desperate need that some have in our world today to be liked, to be followed, to be friended, to have you click on the heart icon or the thumbs-up icon on their page. You know, God is about taking the isolated. God is about taking the alone. God is about taking those that are separated and bringing them into a network, bringing them into real community, real family. And there's something that happens when real... um, sincere, genuine love grows in a community of people. This is exactly what Peter's going to be dealing with in these next few verses. So let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you, God, for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for the encouragement. We thank you, Lord, for the challenge, God. Lord, I thank you for this church, Hosanna, God, that we do have community here, Lord. And yet, God, as you're doing uh, your work in and through your people, there's always opportunity for more. For us to connect to one another more, to, 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 to be involved in each other's lives more, to, to be able to live in and express that genuine Christian love that, that we have access to through your grace and your mercy and your love in our lives. And so, God, I just pray that you would encourage us, Lord, that we would build upon what we're doing already, God, in connecting with those around us, Lord, especially in the family of God within our church community, and maybe be encouraged on, on, on ways we can add to that, Lord, ways we could continue to build our community even more, to, to make sure that nobody within the body of Christ that is in the sphere that we can influence ever feels alone or isolated or separated, but, God, that they would feel that great connection, that, that, that great love that you work in and through us, Lord, being a part of the community of Christ. And so, Lord, speak to us tonight, encourage us, teach us. We love you so much, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, verse 22. He says, since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere, brotherly love for each other, from a pure heart, love one another constantly, because you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. So, Peter's focus here in these verses is that phrase, sincere brotherly love for each other. That's that's the center of this section. The whole section revolves around this idea, and then it is followed up right after it with love one another constantly. This is Peter's point in this section as he's transferring from, well, let's look at Peter's thought, right? From the very beginning of the letter, as he sat down to write this letter to those those people in the scattered churches that were hurting, that were suffering, he starts out and he goes, look, guys, don't forget, you've been picked by God, right? You've been picked by God. You've been elect by God. You're on his team. You're in his family, right? And then he goes on to say, being picked by God, he is giving you a living hope through Christ being risen from the dead. Then he goes on a few verses after that to talk about how this living hope gets better and better in our lives as we live, and it gets better and better all the way to heaven, where this living hope will be fulfilled. It's reserved for us there, and it does not fade as we live now. So then he goes on to say, so even though you struggle now, even though you endure trials now, even though now you might not be able to see God clearly as you would like, You have. You currently possess what the prophets predicted. You have what the preachers have proclaimed. You have what the angels marvel about. And he says, so then we ought to live holy lives and be obedient to God because he redeemed us by paying a truly incredible price, the precious blood of his own son. And then now he builds on that and says, and so then show brotherly love to one another. He gives us four things here, really, that I think are, are key in cultivating true, genuine, real, life-changing relationship and community. And I think these four things, as we apply them in our own lives, it'll, it'll build genuine, real, true community with, with the people that we have influence on, the, the, the sphere of influence that's right in front of us. It'll build community within our church life, and here at Hosanna, or if you're at another church, it'll build community there. Um, wherever you have the opportunity to plug in with other believers, it'll be a part of building that community. These are four aspects of Christian love that really are to characterize the community of fellowship within God's church. So the first thing that really helps us to cultivate true, genuine, real life-changing relationship and community is really to embrace the reality that as a Christian you've been changed. Look what he says there. Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth. He starts out with this reminder. If you're a Christian, you have been changed. You are not the same person you were before you were saved. That phrase, you have purified yourselves, it's talking about something that happened in the past but is continuing to have effect in the present day. That's how the the original Greek verb tense and all that stuff is taking place. That there is something that took place in your life but it is having present day effect now. You were saved in the past, but it's making a difference today. Not only have you been cleansed in the past, but you have new capability today in the present. You were saved. And so that means that today you have the capacity and the capability to love and to show and express love. Even If before Christ, you're the person that says, I've never known what love is like, and I've never been loved, and I've never expressed love, and I don't know the feeling, and I don't understand it. If you are in Christ, you have the capacity now. And so, because of that, show brotherly love for each other. You see, one of the things that should be most evident in the body of Christ, in any church, any fellowship, anywhere, is love. Love should be evident among us because we are God's family. We are saved people. We have been transformed by God. The Bible talks about that he takes out the old heart of stone and gives us a new heart of flesh. Right? The Bible talks about us being transformed. Our minds are transformed. We're to live differently. We're to be differently. Why? Because we're different people. Pastor Gary has said in past Bible studies that that his opinion is that when we are saved, our DNA is literally changed. Now, I I know the Bible says that we are transformed when we give our life to him. We are not the same people. Why should we love? Well, because God first loved us. Why are we able to love? Because God, who is love, dwells within us as his people. You know, it says in Galatians 5 that the fruit of the Spirit is love. And so the first thing to really grasp onto if you're like, you know, I want to be a part of the community of Christ and I want to see the community grow and flourish is to understand that you've been changed. You have the capacity to love in a way you never could before Christ. You have the capacity to express love and to be loving and to love your your brothers and sisters in the Lord in a way you could never even fathom before Jesus. Does that mean that Because you're saved, you're going to be perfectly loving at all times? No, that's a whole other Bible study. But we still have our sin nature with us. We still wrestle against that. But as we cling to the Lord and walk with the Lord and be obedient and treat each other the way he tells us to, we can find ourselves expressing love in a way we never thought possible. Loving people we never thought possible. Love among the family of God is, it's really, it's commanded all over the Bible. You know, but especially in the New Testament, you know, one of the most famous verses, I think, is John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, and this is Jesus speaking, and he goes, I give you a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How many times does he have to say love one another over and over again before we go, maybe he wants us to love one another? That's such a powerful statement. But what's really key in that is he really kind of sets up a, a proof of our salvation, if you will. Are you really a transformed person? Are you truly and genuinely saved? Jesus says, well, you'll prove that by your love for one another. Outrageous love marks and characterizes God's people. Unexplainable love. Some would say unnecessary love. It really is a mark of God's people. Salvation really should affect every relationship you have. Whether you're married whether you just are friends with people, co-workers, kids. Salvation should affect all of that because once we have been loved in a way that transforms our lives, we receive the the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers us. We receive that, that act of love he did by dying on the cross in our place, and we receive that. We are really set free to love other people. Hudson Taylor said this, if your father and mother... Sister and brother, if the very cat and dog in your house are not happier because you've become a Christian, it can be questioned whether you really are. But what specifically is the quality of love that's being discussed here? Well, it's right in that phrase we looked at. He says, sincere. That word sincere, I mean, I think we all understand the definition of that word. It means the real deal. It means genuine. It means true. It means honest. The actual Greek word there that is, that is rendered sincere literally means to be without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy, to not be pretending. Simply means don't be fake in, in your love. Don't be fake in how you express love and care and concern for people. Really love people. I mean, I don't think anybody likes, likes it when people are fake loving them, right? Right? <laughs> They give you the fake smiles, right? They give you the fake compliments. They give you the platitudes. And you're like, you're not being sincere. Nobody likes that. And it really doesn't represent Christ at all. So it isn't something any believer should ever really do, especially to other believers who are part of the same family. Now, it's interesting. Our English word sincere comes from a Latin word that means without wax. The Latin word means without wax. Now, what's interesting about that is, Ancient statue makers or porcelain makers or whatever, you know, they'd be carving their statues and stuff and, and if they had mistakes or errors or oops, you know, they chipped off the guy's nose on the statue or something, what they would do is they would fill in the, the errors with wax. They would fill in the cracks. They would try to fill it in with wax and then pass it off as genuine, whole, real, complete. And so in the time, at those times, Makers and and professionals who wanted to say that their product was the best Who wanted to say that their product was the real deal they would say it was sincera Sincere and sincera literally means it's without wax There's no wax in it. It's not fake Okay Insincere love is when you fill in the gaps of you loving somebody with cheap substitutes it's saying nice things, not because you're generally trying to encourage them, but maybe because you're trying to manipulate them or you're trying to, you know, get something out of them. Insincere love can be like, yeah, okay, I forgive you, and you just go away just, I hate them, and I'm not going to forgive them, and I can't let it go. That's insincere love. It's saying, yeah, I'm going to pray for you when you have no intention to do so. You just want them to go away. Oh, mm, oh yeah, well, okay, okay I'll, pr- I'll pray for you. And you have no intention that's insincere love matthew henry said hypocrisy is to do the devil's work in god's uniform and so when you think of this type of insincere love and you look in the bible and you go are there examples right well think of the 12 disciples can you think of one of the 12 disciples who expressed insincere love to jesus judas iscariot right In John chapter 12, we have the story of Mary pouring this very expensive oil on Jesus to honor him. It tells us later she was anointing him for burial, right? And it was this very expensive perfume oil thing. And in John 12 verses 4 through 6, it says that one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Wow, how loving and noble of you, Judas. You care about the poor people so much. You know, we could have fed people and we could have, you know, done these wonderful godly things with this. But look at what John says. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. Insincere love hurts people. It causes wounds. But real, sincere Christian love heals Real, sincere Christian love that is marked by grace, mercy, and forgiveness heals hearts, heals relationships, heals wrongdoing. And when we embrace that God has changed us and through his Holy Spirit dwelling within us has enabled us to love, especially in ways we never could, real community happens between us. Real relationship happens between us. The second thing that helps us cultivate true genuine real life-changing relationship and community is embracing your spiritual family look back in first peter 1 verse 22 he uses the phrase sincere brotherly love for each other and then verse 23 he says because you have been born again these these words brotherly love and born these are family words all right these are words that have to do with, with family type of things. You know the idea is this: We are in a spiritual family because we have been given a spiritual birth as believers. Because we have been born again, spiritually born, we are born into the family of God, which makes us, as believers, related connected, like family. The basis for our loving unity uh, um, is our second birth, not our first, right? Our first birth was our biological birth. We were born into a family and given a last name. But the basis for the Christian unity, the community and the fellowship that we have that really is supernatural is our second birth. Because in our second birth, being born again, we're born into the same family. We call on the same exact heavenly father We trust in the same Savior. We have the same Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And we all came to salvation in the same way. Ultimately, by trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. It is the blood of Christ that paid the price for our salvation. And it's through the shedding of his blood that we are then adopted into the family of God. Right some of you might have said or remember an old family saying blood is thicker than water right blood is thicker than water and what that means is you know look if you're if you're family you can mess up you can fall down you could fail but if we're related by blood we're going through this together we're going to get through this together right if we're related by blood you're going to have my first priority you're going to have my heart you're going to have my concern you're going to have my commitment but peter has already said that Us, in the family of Christ, have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. That unites us in a way that biology never can. You know, Dale Moody said, you can be a good doctor without loving your patients. You can be a great lawyer without loving your clients. But you cannot be a good Christian without love. And because we are family in Christ, we, we should recognize that, you know. And many of us have experienced that type of instant family connection, especially when you're traveling somewhere, right? You're in a place you've never been to. And maybe you go up to the hotel and you find out that the, the person at the desk, you, you, you find out they're a Christian too, right? And then there's just a just sense, right? There's this connection. Just all of a sudden you're like, oh, hey. It's just there's this instant family, this instant community. Because, oh, your dad is my dad. Because we're family, we recognize that it's the grace, the love of God in our lives that, that binds us together. And so, the, you know, the people sitting next to you here in the room, the people you fellowship, if you're watching online and you're there with someone else that's, that's a believer in the room with you, you know, they're all family. They're all family. Those of you that join us online, we would love to have you here physically, but, you know, until that could happen... We're connected through our common bond of salvation and your family to us here at Hosanna but to cultivate true genuine real life-changing relationship and commun- community you have to embrace your spiritual family you have to embrace your place in the spiritual family you have to embrace the truth that that person next to you in your church, that person you're chatting with online in your small groups or, or prayer teams or whatever you're doing, they're not just a friend, they're family. Bought with the same blood of Jesus Christ. And when we embrace that, we find ourselves making commitments to those people like we would our family. So the third thing that I think helps bring um, you know, true life-changing relationship and community Is to be mutually loyal or committed to one another in that family see verse 22 again he says since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth so that you show sincere brotherly love for one another from a pure heart love one another constantly now we have to take note that phrase from a pure heart love one another constantly the way the original language is written this is a command it's what's called an imperative it's not an option it's a command He's commanding us to love one another constantly. And you might think, how on earth can anybody command anybody to love anybody? Right? How can you command that, right? Doesn't love come and go as we're feeling it and not feeling it? You know, isn't love dependent on, you know, do, did they deserve it? Like, you know, do, I, do I express love to them today? Because you know, they were kind of a jerk to me. Or I was a jerk to them. Or whatever it may be. Well, we find our answer when we look at the difference between brotherly love and the love, he says, that comes from this pure heart. The phrase brotherly love is the word Philadelphia, all right? The city of brotherly love, right? That simply refers to family love, sibling love. Like you have a love for your brothers and you have a love for your sisters. And so what Peter is saying is, since you have been saved and since you have been made part of the family of God, there is their... There is therefore an inherent, built-in love for one another because you're now family. It's kind of like, congratulations, you're family. There's an inherent love for one another in this sibling type of relationship. But then when he says, from a pure heart, love one another constantly, the word love there is agape, a different Greek word for love. The word agape refers to the, the love God has for us. It's a divine love. It's a sacrificial love. Agape is often characterized as a love without conditions. But more importantly, and for the context of what we're talking about, agape love is a love that is expressed by choice. Right? You don't have to like your siblings, but you love them, they're family. That's the Philadelphia type of love. Agape. There's no inherent built in reason that you just have to or you should because it's no, it's a choice. It's a decision that is made, and so what Peter is saying is, look, since you already love each other as family, as siblings, now I'm commanding you to love one another as God loves you, to love one another without conditions, to love one another without forcing the other person to earn it or to have to perform to get you to love them. But love them by choice the way God loves you by choice with charitable love, love constantly, he says, and with a pure heart. We all share the first kind of love because we're family, as I said. But we share the second kind of love because God commands us to show it as an act of our will, as a decision we make. This means loving people when you don't feel like it. This means loving people when you don't feel that they deserve it. That's what is meant there when he says love one another constantly. Other translations translate that word constantly as fervently or earnestly. It means uh, deeply. It means passionately. It means continually. When he's saying love one another constantly, he's going choose to continually love one another regardless of how you feel. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what's going on, this type of love isn't just a warm feeling, it's a choice. And because it's a choice, it's something we have to work on. It doesn't come easy to us, it doesn't even come natural to us. But in Christ, when we let His love flow through us, we can find ourselves loving this way. And so He says, Look, go out, go all out in love. Constantly, fervently, expressively, passionately. Put yourself out there. Love. Stretch your love out as far as you can. Work on it. Go beyond yourself. Put yourselves in situations where you go, it's impossible for me to love that person. So, God, I need you to work through me to give me a supernatural love. He's telling us to treat our spiritual family. the way God treats us. And that even extends to those who aren't in God's family. To treat people the way God treats them. To treat them the way he does. To decide to show love to people even when they might have hurt you. Decide to show love to people even when they've let you down. Even when they've disappointed you. This is exactly the kind of love that God has shown us. Isn't it? Right? The Bible says that while we hated God, while we were his enemy, that means while we blasphemed his name, while we rejected him, he still sent his son to die our death penalty. That's the kind of love God has for us. That he would look at us and say, I'm going to do what's best for you. No matter how much you're hurting me, no matter how much you're hating me, no matter how much you're, you're, you're against me, I love, I'm going to choose to keep loving you. I'm not going to go, oh, well, you didn't deserve it today. You didn't earn it today. You didn't say you're, you know, 10 Hail Marys, so therefore I don't love you today. We'll try again tomorrow. Not at all. He goes, I choose to love you continually, passionately, fervently, despite how you're treating me. And you might think, well, God can love that way, but I'm limited. It's easy for God to do that because He's God, right? But me, love people the way God loves people? I can't do that. And to that I go, I say, really? Are you sure? What do you think your capacity is as a Christian to love people? If you were to evaluate yourself, say, I'm a Christian. I've been saved, redeemed by the blood of Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit. What is my capacity to love people? I could love people this much, this far. Well, let me tell you what the Bible says about that. Romans chapter 5 verse 5. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us who was given to us. Now that phrase poured out What that phrase poured out means in the original language is is the concept of filling up a bucket so full that it keeps overflowing and keeps filling up and keeps overflowing and keeps filling up and keeps overflowing. It never stops being filled up. What that means is when you get to the point where you feel like I'm done, I can't anymore, I don't have any love left, God goes, are you kidding me? I'm still filling the bucket. I'm still filling the bucket. What that means is you and I, Christian, we have an unlimited, infinite capacity by God's grace to love people. A never-ending capacity to love people. We just choose to stop expressing it sometimes. But we can never say, I'm out. I can't, because God's like, I got more to give you. I got more to give you. So anytime you feel like you can't love anymore, God's got more to pour into you. God's got more to pour out through you. And that is the evidence that you belong to him. That is the evidence that you belong to him. That is the evidence that you're in his family. To cultivate true, genuine, real, life-changing relationship and community, It's to be loyal, be committed to your family, be committed to one another, to keep on loving and to keep on pressing forward, even when they hurt you sometimes, even when they let you down sometimes, even when they make you mad sometimes. I'm not gonna stop loving you because God, my Father, never stops loving me. And the fourth thing that helps us cultivate true, genuine, real, life-changing relationship and community is developing a dependence on God's word. Start in verse 23, 1 Peter 1. He said, because you have been born again. right? Love, because you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Through the living and enduring word of God. Verse 24, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. So he goes, look, love. Because you've been born again, because you've been changed, because you've been adopted into this family, love. But then he goes, how? How have you been changed? How do we do this? How do we become this? He goes, through the living and enduring word of God. And then what Peter does in verse 24 is he goes on to quote from Isaiah chapter 40, right? It's interesting because contextually, Isaiah 40 comes right after a prophecy where it was prophesied that God's people would go into exile. Then right after that prophecy, we get Isaiah 40, which is what Peter is quoting from. So it's like Peter writing to these people who he started out saying, look, you are exiles in this world. Let me write this to comfort you. You have been born again through the living and enduring word of God. Now, he uses this picture of seeds, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. What does that add to the picture? Well, seeds possess within themselves the power to bring forth life, right? You have a seed from a tree, a plant. That seed within it possesses the capability to bring forth life. You you have seeds of an oak tree that are inside the, what are they in? The acorns or the, not acorns. Pine cones. Is that an oak tree? I don't know. A tree with seeds. We'll we'll stop there, okay? But that seed possesses the power to grow into the tree that it was dropped from. Right? And you have these gigantic trees that drop the tiniest seed. And that seed can become another gigantic tree. So that seed hits the ground and a sapling emerges Why? Because all that was necessary, all of the necessary life-giving properties were present in that seed from the very beginning. And so he's saying God's word is like that. Everything you need to be who God is calling you to be is present in the word that was implanted into your life, starting with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's word contains everything within it necessary for life. And every Christian can testify that the results of hearing God's word, starting with the gospel, is what? Life. New life. Born again. As the gospel was proclaimed to us, the word of God brings forth life, that brings forth love. The word of God is is key. It's our manual. It's our instruction guide. It is is the the conversation with God himself about who he wants us to be and how he wants us to be. It is the word of God spoken into our lives and he goes, this is the word. This word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. It was implanted into your life. It brought life to you. And so if we want to be people, That have love grow and flourish within us. And to have community and unity and fellowship grow within us. I believe a key part of that, a key part of that is dependence. A commitment to God's word. Reading it, studying it, learning it, letting it do what it does within us. So that it grows out from us. And the result of that is love. Unlike the seed of an oak tree, which hits the ground and then splits open and the seed is dead, God's word endures forever, it says. It will always be and always possess the ability to give life, to change life, to better life. And when our lives are changed, so is our community. So are our relationships. I think the biggest challenge, the biggest struggle in people's lives comes from the fact of them not learning and studying the Word of God. And so they drift off course, and they start to behave and be and do things that are ungodly and unChristlike. We've got to be in the Word of God. If we're going to grow in love, we need to be nourished in our love. And that book that we have called the Bible, it's, it's, it's love food. Okay, it's what causes us to grow. It feeds love. It causes it to flourish. It reveals how to love. The Bible reveals a God who loves, right? It tells us, for God so loved the world. It doesn't just tell us to love. It tells us how to love in our marriages, in our friendships, with our children, with our parents, with our workers. It tells workers. It even teaches about expressing physical love within the context of marriage, Song of Solomon. Don't read it if you're not married, right? Different conversation. But love expressed emotionally, physically, spiritually. The Bible is all about all of this. And so develop a dependence on the word of God because without it, we can't really become who God wants us to become. Especially within the community that he wants to develop with the people of his family. So we have to develop a dependence on his word not just to come to Bible studies on Sundays and Wednesdays. That's great. There's this wonderful thing that happens here in community when we're gathered together to praise God and to hear his word proclaimed, but on your own, reading it, studying it, letting it penetrate your life and grow and flourish out from it. So Peter's point is God's word was preached to us. It gave us life The seed was planted in our hearts, right? The word of God, the gospel was proclaimed to us and it brought forth fruit. And fruit is a proof that seed was there, right? No seed, no fruit. So because you've been born again into the family of God, because you have brotherly love for one another, here's a command. While you're here in exile in this dark world, living in exile with the rest of your spiritual family, choose to love each other without condition. Choose to love each other unconditionally, constantly, sacrificially, fervently. You might go, wow, that's an impossible command, God. Like, come on, bro. Like, command me to, like, Pray twice a day. I think I can manage that. But to love people the way you love them? That's impossible, Lord. But I believe this, that the Bible never gives us a command without giving us the capacity to follow it. The seed that bore the fruit of salvation in you didn't die. That seed is still there. It didn't die after it gave birth to what it was supposed to. It's still there. It's living. It's powerful. It's enduring. It's enabling. And so if you don't feel like loving that unlovable person in your life, do it anyway because you can because that seed is still within you. That gospel that brought life to you is still working, is still growing in and through you. If you don't feel like forgiving that nasty person in your life, do it anyways, because you can. If you don't feel like caring for that belligerent jerk, do it anyways. If you don't feel like humbling yourself before that prideful person, do it anyway. Why? Because you should and you can. God has enabled you. The Holy Spirit that is God himself dwells within you, changing you and helping you to accomplish the impossible. He does it all the time. The Lord's command is that we love one another. It doesn't even doesn't get even it doesn't get more simple than that. But it also doesn't get more deep and profound than that. Love one another. Right tradition says that the apostle John in the final years of his life would be brought before the church to preach a sermon people there oh this is john right he's a disciple jesus loved or we're, we're waiting to hear from him and it would bring him out before everybody and he'd go love one another and they'd wheel him out And you're like bro i waited in line for two hours for love one another but I think at the end of John's life, everything he learned, everything he experienced, especially reflecting on his time with Jesus on this earth and then his time growing as the Holy Spirit dwelt within him, that he learned every problem can be solved if we just loved one another. Every argument can be overcome if we just loved one another. Every broken relationship can be overcome if we just loved one another. If we set aside ourselves, we set aside our pride, we set aside our selfishness, we set aside what we think we deserve, and we simply, without condition, chose to love one another. It's one of the most difficult commands for us to do, but we can do it. Because we've been set free. We've been changed. We're part of a whole brand new family. Because of what God's done in our life, we have a whole brand new capacity, a new ability to love constantly, to love fervently in a way we never could before. And when you feel like you simply can't express any more love, he keeps pouring it in. And keeps pouring it in. Over and over. And I think when we live that way, live in those realities, embrace those things, it's an unstoppable force. It is an unstoppable force, and it's really a force I don't think the unbelieving world can withstand. So yeah, society is becoming more and more virtual, more and more technological. Which just simply means that, that you and I, members of the family of God, we need to just be more intentional about real connection. We need to be more intentional about real relationship. We need to be more intentional about the real deal, real connection, both in person and online. It's really easy to click a like button. It takes a little more effort to send a DM, a little more effort to respond to the response and to build a relationship with somebody. But it's worth it, and it's what we're called to do. True Christian love is way more than just clicking a friend button, tapping a thumbs up icon or a heart icon. It's community. It's a community of involved, committed, sincere relationship marked by changed people who are marked by love. People who choose to extend and express grace, mercy, and forgiveness to one another. People who bear the fruit of the Spirit, the very mark of God's touch on our lives. Love itself. And so I want to close with something that the Apostle Paul wrote. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 1 through 8. He says, if I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give, away, give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Because love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for your love. We thank you, God, that you enable us to express, express love. That really is beyond us as fallen sinful humanity. We thank you, God, that you loved us so much that even when we hated you, you died the death penalty that we deserve so that we could be set free and forgiven. You paid the penalty of our crimes when we hated you so that we could have relationship with you, restored God, it is difficult for us to even comprehend that kind of love. But Lord, we have your revealed word that teaches us who you are. That teaches us what love is. That teaches us how to express love to one another. And God, sometimes we might get caught up in wanting to point the finger and saying, that person is not being... Loving. That person is being rude to me. That person is being envious. Lord, it's not about us going out and trying to get other people to be what we're not even being ourselves. Lord, we are called to stand before you and you alone and humble ourselves to your work in our lives that we would be the people that you created, created, have created us to be. And so, Lord, help us to be people where we may be the recipients of hate. Help us to still express love. We may be the recipients of people being impatient with us. May we express patience. Lord, we may be receiving unkindness from people that we would respond with kindness. That, God, people would be cruel and harsh with us and we would respond with gentleness. That people would be just down and upset and negative and we would respond with joy. Because God, you dwell within us. And you enable us to express your love to a lost and dying world. Help us to do that more, God. Help us in our relationships to do that. Help us in our friendships, in our workplaces. God, we're not perfect, and we mess up, and we know that. And So help us, God, that as we receive forgiveness and grace and mercy, when we mess up, God, that we would extend that when those around us mess up. That we would pursue unity and community and relationship, God, beyond a surface level but to really invest and commit to one another's lives as the body of Christ as best we can. To be ready and willing to to overlook wrongdoing, God, to pursue love. So God, we ask that you just do a work in our lives individually. We ask you do a work in our families, in our marriages, in our workplaces. We ask you do a work here in our church, God that the Christian love that you have for us would flow through us to one another, God, and that, that our church would be known in our communities as a place where the love of God just flows freely. God, we pray that for every church, that the world would be able to look at the Christian church and see the love of God flowing. Thank you for loving us, God. Thank you for working in us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit teaching us and changing us. We ask you to continue your work in our lives, God. And we eagerly look forward to becoming more and more like you every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Let's worship.